Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to, to meet you, if you're new here, my name is Jason. I have the honor privilege of being the pastor and serving alongside men like Billy Warren and four others uh, as, uh, as the Lord leads this church. And, uh, and so just honored that you're here with us this morning. We're going to continue on in our Unity of Faith series. Uh, we'll start in John 3 together this morning. We'll look at one verse and then we'll jump to Ephesians 1. If you want to grab a Bible and go ahead and get started, feel free to do that. Uh, around you and the seats uh, around you underneath your seat, there should be a, a black hardback Bible. If you don't have one, that's there for you. Feel free to grab it. I encourage you to follow along as always. Um, want you to see and hear God's word, not just my words. And so uh, we'll start in John 3 and then we'll end up in Ephesians 1. Um, as you turn there, just a couple of things to get us on track. If you're just joining us, we started a series last week walking through the foundational truths of the Christian faith, the things that we call essential and non negotiable. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, conversations we can have, disagreements we can have uh, within the realm of theology, uh, and, and yet we can still have a unity of faith. And so what we're going to do in this series is walk through Solid Rock's statement of faith, these foundational truths that we don't negotiate on, the things that we do consider essential and foundational to what we believe as Christians. And so last week we started with the foundational truth that we serve a Trinitarian God, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, is one God, that God has chosen to reveal himself that way to us. We didn't start with the doctrine of man or what we were handed to from the generation before us. We started with the word of God and asked God to answer the question, who are you? And God has chosen in his sovereign authority to reveal himself to us as one God manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in those moments where we don't fully get it, rather than trying to wrestle God to the ground and submit him to our way of thinking, we decide it's better to take God at his word and believe him, right, according to the way he's chosen to reveal himself. So what we're going to do now over the next three weeks is we're going to break that down and we're going to look at, starting today, uh, the work of the Father. What does it mean that God is a Father? And what does it mean that God the Father has worked in the redemption of the world and in, in our lives individually We'll come back next week and look at the work of the Son, followed two weeks from today with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's, here's kind of how I've envisioned it in my mind. This might help you. Um, so what we're looking at in the Bible, what the Bible is, is really the testament of God's redemption plan, his plan to redeem the world. So the way I think of the, the, the Trinity God working to redeem the world is this, what we'll see today in the work of the Father is that when we look at the redemption plan from the Father's perspective, we're looking at it from 30,000 feet. We're looking at it from way up in the air. This is the big picture. On each horizon is eternity. God is sovereignly presiding as, a, as an authoritarian, loving father over the redemption of the world. And so when we, when we look at the work of the father, we get a lot of big picture image, images of what God is doing. So that's what we'll see today. However, when we, next week when we come back and we look at the work the son is doing, what we're going to see is the redemption plan of God unfolding on the ground. This is where God comes to walk on our dirt and to experience our sorrows and to walk among us, the redemption plan on the ground. And two weeks from the day when we come back to look at the work the Holy Spirit is doing, we're going to see the redemption plan unfolding inside of us. God's ability to work in the depths of who we are, to change our identity for our good and for his glory. And so today we're going to be at 30,000 feet. A lot of big picture conversation going on today as we look at the work of the Father. 
Now, before we even uh, start today in John 3, I'm just going to read a passage from Galatians 4. We'll actually come back and look at this again at the end of the sermon. But what I want to do is pick up where we left off last week. So where we left off last week is we looked at how God is a Trinitarian God, works beautifully in, in, in a complementary fashion together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working together interdependently to redeem the world. So I'm just going to read something from Galatians 4 that highlights the work of all three in our salvation. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 4, Galatians, we find these words, But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God, God the Father, sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir. An heir through God. You see the work of all three? God the Father sending the son. And those who have believed on the son, who have trusted the son with their lives, God has sent his spirit to live inside of them. All three working together in our salvation. Now, John 3 is a beautiful summary verse. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a view from 30,000 feet on what God is doing. Very familiar verse to us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That was his motive. Okay, so if you're wondering, what's the motive as I read the Bible? Starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation. The motive is God's love. But what we see is this is not just God. This is God the Father. For God so loved the world, God the Father, that he sent his only son. This is what God did. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that's our response. Now did you notice what the word was here for our response? Believe. Not those who work hard. Those who are highly moral. Those who impress God. Those who are highly religious but those who believe. This is the redemption plan of God from 30,000 feet. God looks down at the world, is initiated by love, and at just the right time, he sends his son to walk among us, to redeem us, to save us. Because of his perfect love. Okay, let's talk for a minute about what perfect love is. Now, in the Greek language, I don't know how many of you study the Bible on this level, but there are actually multiple words that we translate love. So it's not just enough to say love. Okay, So what we're reading here is about agape love or agapeo love. This is the perfect love of the Father. Now here's what's different about agape love. First of all, just like you would think about when somebody says that they love you or you love somebody or something, it's the idea of longing for, desiring for. Okay, We get that, right? That's what it means. I love chocolate, I love weekends, I love holidays, I love vacations, I love my wife. Yet I mean distinct things by those statements, right? Different things. Okay, so here's what makes the love of God different. It's not just implied, but simultaneously with the expression comes action, activity. So that what God says, he also does. Now that's what sets it apart from the way you and I love, right? We say it, and sometimes we back it up with actions. But when God's love is expressed, there are always actions. As a matter of fact, you can't separate the two. You can't separate his intent or what comes across his lips with what he does. He's a perfect loving father, not an almost perfect loving father. Not 99% of the time, 100% of the time, 
he loves. Because of his perfect father-like love for his creation, God the Father sent Jesus to the earth to rescue the nations. And we'll come back to rescuing the nations at the end as well. So what we're seeing then, just from, just from 30,000 feet, is that God the Father is the initiator of the redemption plan, right? Because he loved the world, he sent his son. God the Father initiates our salvation. Now what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Ephesians 1, okay? Now there are a couple different ways. We'll do it both ways. There are a couple different ways you can, you can observe what God the Father is doing in the Bible. One is just read it from cover to cover, and we don't have time to do that today, but it's a very, um, a very healthy and accurate and comprehensive way to see what God is doing. From, from cover to cover, you're going to see God has a beautiful, unfolding redemption plan. The Father is sovereignly presiding over this plan, step by step, generation by generation, until everything is completed. Okay? There's another way you can do it, too. You can look at smaller sections of the Bible, if you will, the micro version, and you can zoom in on passages of Scripture that explain to us what God the Father is doing. And that's what we're going to do in Ephesians 1. We're going to start in Ephesians 1, and uh, from Ephesians 1, we're going to start in 3 and make it all the way through verse 6. And we'll come back next week in verse 7 and pick up the work that the Son is doing, and then we'll end in verses 13 and 14 with what the Spirit is doing, like I said, two weeks from today. So, uh, starting in Ephesians 1, here's what we read. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a side note so you know, oftentimes in the Bible, when you read God, God is doing something, what's implied is God the Father. That's what we just read in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. So it implies what? For God the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son. So here in this passage, Paul puts them together and says this. For uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has? So who's the, who's the who here? God the Father. Who has blessed us in Christ, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that Paul qualified here what blessings he's talking about. Because we use that word to imply a lot of different things, right? I mean, we get stuck in traffic and it starts moving. You go, oh, what a blessing, right? Uh, grandma makes your favorite dish for Thanksgiving. You go, oh, what a blessing. You're unemployed and you get a job. What a blessing. You have a job, you get a promotion or a raise. What a blessing. Here's the problem. If that's all we're looking at in terms of blessing, what happens when you lose the job, right? Or what happens when grandma doesn't bring? Are you, are you less blessed? So what, what Paul is getting at here is, I'm not talking about material blessings here. I'm going to step above that, okay? And I'm defining and I'm talking about spiritual blessings, the ways you have been blessed in Christ spiritually. And so what he's going to do now after verse 3 is he's going to list these spiritual blessings for us. This is, this is consistent with what um, the Apostle James wrote in James 1.17 when he said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so, if you are taking notes, every spiritual blessing comes from God the Father. Every spiritual blessing comes from God the Father. And we'll pick this up at the beginning of verse 4. Even as he, who's the he... God the Father 
chose us in him. We're finding out slowly as this passage unfolds, the him is Christ. So even as he, the father, chose us in him, the son, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now we're going we're gonna to put chose on hold for just a second. We're going to deal with that. It's a really important word here to help us understand who God the Father is. But let's, let's talk about the last of what we just read, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, that's how God created us, right? Holy and blameless. I mean, I don't remember it. You don't remember it because we weren't there in Genesis 1 and 2. But that's how God created humanity, holy and blameless. The only version of humanity I know is the not holy version and the, and, and, and the, the version that deserves blame, right? Yet, what we're going to find out, if you continue reading Ephesians, it's going to climax in chapter 4, and what we're going to find out that our salvation in Christ actually restores that holiness and that blamelessness. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the struggle for me. I don't feel holy and blameless. I still find myself trying to cover up things that I do wrong so that nobody blames me. So how does that work? Here's what we are going to understand more so next week. Let me just hit it in summary today. Here's what happened. From the birth of Jesus till his death, he walked on earth in human form perfectly. Perfectly moral. Perfectly right. Perfect wisdom. Perfect. Now think about that. Perfect. That's what makes the cross work for us. And here's what we need to understand. When we trust in him, we believe, as John 3.16 says, in Christ, that he did that for us. Here's what God does. He looks at you and me, people who deserve blame, people who are less than righteous, and he says, I am going to take the righteousness of Christ, and I'm going to impute it to you. I'm going to give you his righteousness. And so, so we say, well, I don't, I don't deserve that. God says, I know. That's why Jesus did it for you. But, but I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything to earn that. God says, I know. He, he actually did the earning for you. And then we are left with what? Well, there's no way I could ever pay that back. And God says what? It's already paid in full. It's finished. This is yours. This is the way I choose to see you. It's the imputed work of Christ in our lives. And so when we try to understand then what it means that God chose us or chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, starting there. We understand that implies to creation, but it also implies to redemption. And what we're going to see unfold today is that the redemption plan was actually planned before the foundation of the world. Now think about that. God, God's plan to redeem the world was not because God got backed into a corner. Because Satan pushed God back into a corner and said, now what are you going to do? They're not blameless and holy anymore. See, the plan was already on God's mind and heart from the beginning, which leaves us with some radically big questions. Why would you create something that you knew you were going to have to redeem? Right? And, and so we can answer it in short, it, it brings glory to God. Right? It, it's what he chose. But on a, on a really deep level, we can't answer that question. All we know is that God the Father decided to do it that way, to create and to create with the intention of redeeming. Now, I have some speculation on why I think he did it, but, but we, ultimately, we don't know. 
But because God has chosen to redeem, we're able to see him as a redeeming, loving father. And so he has chose us, he has chosen us to be holy and blameless. Now that's going to come up again. Let's fill this in if you're taking notes. The father chose to make us holy and blameless. He didn't get backed into a corner, nor did you or I get so desperate that we begged him and talked him into it. That's not how it happened. Redemption wasn't people here on earth going, we have messed up. I mean, we just, we just rolled over your righteousness. We've made a mess of your world. God, come fix us. That would be God reacting to the problem in humanity. But what the Apostle Paul wants us to know is that's not how God the Father works. He's an initiator. He's not a reactor. And he chose us to be holy and blameless from the foundations of the world. So the Father initiated redemption before the world was fallen. So let me just give a practical example of how that, if you are a dad here today, could play out in your role as a father in your family. In, a, in, a, in maybe a small way, just bearing God's image. So, um, so here's an example. If you, when you first found out or first decided, you know what, I think we're going to try to have kids, you know what, we better start saving now. I better put together a college fund. That's proactive, not reactive, right? Reactive is um, coming to your son or daughter's graduation and them saying to you, I want to go to college, and you going, oh, okay, well, I'll see if I can figure out how to pay for it. See, proactive, initiating, is making a provision before there's a need. See, that's how God the Father loves. Fathers, when your heart stirs with proactivity to be an initiator, to plan ahead, to prepare before there's even a need, that's a, in a small way a reflection of our Heavenly Father. God the Father initiated redemption before the world was fallen, before there was even a need. God set in motion a plan to rescue. Now, continuing in verse 4, the end of verse 4 into 5, in love, it's important. Why? Because God doesn't want us to think about the way he operates here on earth apart from his love. He wants us to see him through a lens of perfectly, perfect fatherly love. So in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. We're going to come back to that in a minute. We just sang about his glorious grace. We'll we'll come back to that in just a minute. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved who? The beloved son. Now, what just happened is we read a verse that has uh, become a controversial uh, theology in our current modern day uh, the, uh, evangelical uh, church front. And so um, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, I'll just give you some bearings if you're not familiar with this conversation to kind of help you understand how it's happening. So on one end of, of the spectrum from, from an Arminian mindset is this idea that the will of God never messes with the will of man so that salvation is simply an invitation put out before man and then man either chooses to respond to it or not. Okay, And also in this kind of camp of thinking is the idea that when you're choosing God, you're saved, but when you're not choosing him, you're not. And so there can be this idea of loss of salvation, loss of favor, loss of adoption, being readopted. And it's an Arminian way to think about the sovereignty of God. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a more Calvinistic perspective of how to view the sovereignty of God. 
And so those who land in this camp look at the, the sovereign will of God as something that can thwart and does thwart the will of man and is, a, is proactive in predetermining who should be saved. And, and, and people will land. Good, faithful, Bible-believing people will land in both camps. Now, if you're hyper-Arminian, you just pretend like that word isn't in there and you read right past it. You never wrestle with it. I'm just going to pretend, la, 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 like God didn't just say predestined. I'm going to keep going. Right? However, if you're hyper-Calvinist, what often happens is you read the word, you embrace the word, and you never wrestle functionally with what that looks like for the will of God and the will of man to wrestle with one another. Okay? And so rather than me tell you where I land or where I think you should land, I'm going to encourage you to study, to read, to work that out between you and God. But here's the thing. If we get hung up on that word, we may miss the primary angst of what Paul is saying. Now, that's important. We have this initiating predetermining God, whether he just predetermined what the plan would be and we react to it, or he predetermined who was going to be part of the plan. Either way, he's a predeterminer, right? But what did he predetermine? That's what's important. He predestined us for adoption. Now, now it begins to make sense for me. If we think in terms of symbolically or metaphorically, what adoption means is, is what? That the parent predetermined, the parent initiated and came and chose the child. And that's the full picture of what Paul wants us to see here. You and I as Christians are sons and daughters, and we've been adopted in. We have a a loving, choosing father. He's not embarrassed by us. We didn't talk him into letting, letting us into his family. God came to us first and said, I want you in my family as my son and my daughter. God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's talk for a minute about why it's not just grace and why it's glorious grace. So I think on some level, hopefully every person in this room is familiar with grace. Okay, humanly speaking, you owed something that somebody said, you know what, I forgive you for that. Whether it was financial or otherwise, you've been extended grace, I hope, on some level. Now, there may be some in this room who are thinking, I don't know if I ever have. Hopefully you have. Hopefully there was a time where you did something your parents told you not to do, and they told you what would happen when you did it, and then when you did it, they came to you and said, you know what, I'm going to give you grace instead. Now, So common grace, hopefully we have some type of idea of what it means to owe something and be forgiven. But we're not talking about common grace here. We're talking about glorious grace. And so what is it about the Father's love and the Father's grace that make it glorious, not just ordinary grace, common grace? Here's what it means. First of all, God's grace, as we've already read, is proactive. He didn't wait for us to ask for it. He didn't wait for you and I to get desperate enough, right, for him to go, okay, now I'll send Jesus. Matter of fact, they weren't asking for Jesus. The nation of Israel had long since forgotten, most of them, that there was a Messiah to be had at all. And at just the right time, God sends his son, not because the people were humbling themselves and praying and repentance and revival was breaking out. God said, now I'll send him, now you're ready. In in a moment that seemed like it was almost just silence here on earth. God sent Jesus to be born. He initiated it. 
So we know glorious grace is initiated by the loving Father. Second part of that is we know we didn't earn it. There's nothing you have done to deserve the grace of God. Nothing. If you think as you, every time you come to church and you hear the gospel, you think that's too good to be true. You're right. It is too good. You think to yourself, there's no way God could forgive me. Like the rest of these people in here have messed up, but nobody's messed up like I've messed up. I don't deserve that. Let me just say, if that's what you're thinking, you're onto something. You see, that's what makes it glorious. Not only did he initiate it, we didn't earn it. Which leaves us with one last problem. We can't do anything to pay it back. God doesn't let you in on credit. He doesn't let you in with good intentions. He doesn't let you in on your word that you'll be better tomorrow. That's not how glorious grace works. That's how earthly grace works. That's not how glorious grace works. Matter of fact, Jesus goes to the extent in Matthew 18, he's teaching his disciples about grace and and teaching them about forgiveness. And Peter asks, well, how many times do we have to extend forgiveness to the same person? And then he teaches through a parable about this wealthy king who was settling accounts. A, A man was brought in who owed him a huge debt, and it was such a ridiculous amount, the man couldn't have paid it back through 200,000 years of average wages. So Jesus paints this impossible picture, right, of this idea of paying back a debt. And the king does what? Forgives his debt. And so what is Jesus doing? He's teaching us about glorious grace. A grace that is initiated by God, the Father. A grace that you haven't deserved or earned, and you cannot pay it back. Can't. So Paul tells us, in love, he, being our Father, our Heavenly Father, God the Father, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This was his plan, his idea, to the praise of his what? Glorious grace. Without glorious grace, then none of this works. Right? Not a person in this room deserves to be in the family of God short of glorious grace. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You want to know what perfectly, perfect fatherly love looks like? Just realize that God has adopted you as his children. That's what fatherly love looks like. And so here's what has to happen for us, um, especially those who've had maybe a bad example here on earth, of what fatherly love was supposed to look like. Maybe you grew up in a home where dad never said it. Maybe to this day you've never heard your dad say he loves you. Or maybe he only said it when you earned it or performed well. Here's what has to happen right now. Your earthly dad has to take a back seat to God the Father in order for you to see God the right way. God says, don't measure me based on what he has done. That's not what I look like. Here's the thing too. Maybe you grew up in a loving home with a fantastic father. And maybe you've heard him say that today. Son or daughter, I love you. Here's the reality, though. Remember what agape love is? It's 100% of the time backed up by faithful action. And as awesome as your dad may have been, there have been times where he has let you down. He didn't keep his word. He disappointed you. 
right? He's not perfect. And guess what God says? He needs to take a back seat too because that's not the way I love. I want you to see me as a perfect, loving father. And don't gauge me based on what you've experienced because it's not good enough. The Father has predestined to adopt us as sons and daughters through Jesus. Is there tension in that? Sure. How does it work? Can't fully explain it to you, but here's what we need to know. God initiated his relationship with you. That's how much he loves you. Did you know that? Many of you here today still are struggling to believe that truth that God can love you. You know what God's saying to you? Quit, quit waiting until you get your life together to believe that I love you. It's not going to make me love you any more or less. Quit trying to perform well, score the, the winning goal, be the top of your class, coming home with the best grades. Quit trying to perform to earn my love. It'll make me love you no more than I love you right now. So God the Father speaks and says, this is how I want you to see me. Now what I want to do is... Um, we're going to transition for a minute. Just take a step back. We're going to look at this from 30,000 feet, right? From Genesis to Revelation, this beautiful, unfolding, redemptive plan of the Father. This is in your sermon notes as well. God the Father planned and directed the redemption of the world by sending his Son into the world to rescue the nations. As early as Genesis 12, way back at the beginning of your Bible, as early as Genesis 12, God says, my plan is to rescue the nations. He speaks to a man named Abraham in Genesis 12. He says to Abraham, I want you to load up your stuff and your family. Come follow me to the place that I'm going to show you. I've got a plan unfolding here. And here's my plan to bless the nations. So we get all the way past the Old Testament, deep into the New Testament, into the book of Galatians and Galatians 3. And the Apostle Paul, the same author of Ephesians, says what? Way back then when God said that, he was actually preaching the gospel to Abraham. He was revealing his redemption plan to Abraham way back then. You get to Revelation. This beautiful redemption plan coming to a close with what? The nations described as rivers flowing uphill to the mountain, flood into the presence of the Lord from every tribe and tongue and nationality. That's the end of the redemption plan. That's the redemption plan coming to a close. God sent Jesus to earth to rescue the nations. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples as he's closing his time out here on earth? What did he say? All right, guys, it's your turn. You go make disciples of, of who? Of the nations, all ethnicities, the ethnos. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So from 30,000 feet, this is God's plan, is to redeem the nations. In addition to that, God's plan is to reconcile all wrongs. Let me see if we can put some tires on this one for you and put it on the ground, especially those of you who've experienced some really, really hard experiences here on earth. When we hear that God reconciles all wrongs, we tend to think about the wrongs done to us first and foremost, right? This is how I've been wrong. This is how I was mistreated. This is how I was abandoned. So as soon as I started talking about dads, some of you started thinking about the ways that your dad mistreated you. Abused, abandoned. To the deepest of our hurts. Sexual abuse. Rape. 
We hear God reconciles all wrongs. We ask the question, even those? Because in order for that to be reconciled, somebody has to pay for that, right? That, you can't just sweep that one under the rug, God. I mean, somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm good in five minutes. But those, somebody's got to pay for those hurts. And God steps up to the plate and says, you know what? You're absolutely right. Somebody's going to pay for those wrongs. But guess who it's going to be? It's going to be my son, Jesus. That's why the cross was so bloody and brutal. Jesus was paying the fine and penalty for every wrong that's been made against you. And even bigger than that, every wrong that's been made against God. And so reconciling all wrongs is part of what Jesus came to earth to do. To recover all that was lost in the fall. So we see God create, perfect, he calls it good. Adam and Eve, sin, and now things aren't good anymore, right? And, and, and you and I only know that world short of God. The not good world. The place where we open up the newspaper and we just, we know what the line's going to be. It's just swap out the names. Oh, it's just happening in Paris this time, right? It's a hostage situation, terrorist situation. People are killing people. Shootings are happening, right? We, we, we almost become numb to it. What, what does that mean to us? We, we know what the fallen world looks like, right? Jesus has come to earth, sent by the Father, to recover all that was lost in the fall. What does that mean? Well, guess where, guess where the redemption story begins? God creates the heavens and the earth. Guess where it ends? The creation of the new heavens and the earth. God restores everything. And your last point here, according to its perfectly created purpose and condition. Jesus came to earth, sent by the Father to restore the universe to its perfectly created purpose and condition. Now, that's God's redemption plan from like 30,000 feet, right? Cover to cover, eternity on both, on either horizon. God stands as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He said, this is what I am doing. You, you're just a small sliver in this story, but you're an important part of the story. Here's why. Because I love you so much, I'm going to send my son right here in the middle to walk among you perfectly, to do what you can't do, to earn the love of the Father. And then guess what? It'll be his choice to give it to you. And by believing in him and trusting in him, it's his to give. He gives you his righteousness and forgiveness. And God the Father says what? And I choose to adopt you. Think about it. I choose to adopt you. I want you. I accept you. I love you. Galatians 4, this is where we started, this is where I want to end today. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. So again, this is, this is an overview of the beautiful, beautifully orchestrated, complementary work of the Trinity working together to redeem us. Verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, when God said, now, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and also born what? Under the law. Why was Jesus born under the law? So that he could perfectly obey it. Look at what he says next. To redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born under the law. He obeyed it. To redeem those who were born under the law and can't obey it. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What does that mean for us? God's forgiveness for your life was his idea. God's love for you began with God. God's desire to accept you into his family, to adopt you in, that was God's idea. God setting you free from slavery to shame and guilt and sin, God's idea, right? This is what a loving father does. He looks, and even before there's a need, he says, I will provide for that need. Now think about it like this. What does it mean for us in a practical sense to have the perfect love of a father? Let's think about it um, imperfectly for just a minute. Daddies in the room know hopefully what I'm about to describe. When, when things go wrong or uh, um, un- unordinarily wrong with our children, they get hurt in a way they've never been hurt before, whether somebody has said something to them or they've physically been hurt, like there's a safe place for that child in the arms of his father or her father, Right? And so it's the, it's the presence of a perfectly loving father. doesn't necessarily make the pain go away, but it seems to make the pain okay, right? The perfect love of our heavenly father is the place that we come to bring our hurts, that he could heal the hurts that we have that others have done to us. Um, think of it like this. If you're a parent and you have children, you send them out into the world, surely they've come home uh, if, they're, if they've been to school and they've been hurt by what somebody said. Right, And they bring those hurts to you, those voices of other people to you. It's the voice of a loving father that's supposed to silence those voices. So when my son comes home and says, Dad, I'm really hurt. So-and-so said this to me on the playground. I say to my son, is it true? And he says, well, no, it's not true. That's right, it's not true. It's not who you are. See, it's my job to silence those voices. Not only that, it's my job to remind my children who they are in their seasons of doubt. See, that's the role of a loving father. To to be a place that you can bring your hurts that still hurt, but somehow when you bring them to God, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Right? When the world speaks things to you, hurts you, people in your life have spoken things that are painful to you. Some of you still in your mind, there's bouncing around statements and phrases that people have said to you. You know what your heavenly father does? He says, bring that to me. And he asks you the question, are those things true? Well, no, dad, they're not. God said, that's right. And he silences those voices for us. It's God who reminds us who we are in our seasons of doubt. God the father has, according to what we just read, God the father has blessed us. He has chose us. He has redeemed us. He has predestined us. And he has adopted us. He's the initiator. God the Father has loved us deeply, completely, faithfully, and perfectly in order to heal us from the brokenness we have from being loved temporarily, incompletely, unfaithfully, and with conditions. I just described love, didn't I, here on earth? A love that's based on how well you perform, based on whether or not you're needed today. A love that's based on Who knows what? Some of you grew up in homes, and to this day, you're still trying to earn daddy's love. You couldn't bring home a report card good enough, right? You couldn't score enough goals. You couldn't look pretty enough or handsome enough. Your hair was never fixed right. 
Your clothes were never right, and you're still in that mode of having to earn daddy's love. That's called conditional love. And God the Father is saying to you today, he needs to take a back seat to me. That's not who I am. Because you've been loved temporarily, needed today and discarded tomorrow, because you've been loved incompletely, some of the time, because you've been loved unfaithfully, what, what somebody said to you they didn't follow through with, and because you've been loved with conditions, God comes to you as a loving father and says, here's how I love you, deeply, completely, faithfully, and perfectly. That's who I am. That's God the Father. Here's what I'd like to do now as we wrap up. Um, I'm going to pray for you. I know. I mean, I know it. Right? I know there are hurts. There are skewed perspectives of who God is swirling around this room. And for many of us today, we needed to hear that. We needed to hear the voice of God say to us, you're mine. What I want to do is I want to pray now that you would do what God wants you to do. You know what that is? Pick up all your hurts and, and run to him and bring them to him. This is how I've been hurt. This is how I've been let down. This is how I've been abandoned. This is the pain I'm feeling right now. I'm unloved in my home. I'm, I'm unloved in my job. I'm unloved in my past. I'm unloved in my family. Here it is, God. It's what he wants you to do to bring that to him. I'm going to pray that you would do that. Okay? Some of you here today are hearing for the first time that this is the God of the universe. And here's what I'm going to pray for, that you would come to God for the very first time to believe in Christ, to understand that that was his idea, his redemption plan. The cross was his plan to help you. And I'm going to pray that you would come to Christ today to trust him, not just with your hurts, but with all your life and your eternity, to surrender your life to God and say, you know what, I'll follow you. Wherever you lead, I'll follow you. I can trust, I can trust a father like that, and I'll follow you wherever you lead me. I'm going to pray that you would do that today. I'm going to ask that our prayer partners will be available um, at the front. and the, They'll be up here at the front and then also at the back. They have a, a lanyard on that says prayer partner. Um, they would love nothing more than to just spend time with you hearing what's going on and, and to pray over you. Um, our worship team, if you guys will come on up, um, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll respond to God's word. Um, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you tell us to call you daddy. And today, just a brief glimpse into what that means for us, that you love us as a perfect father. And God, we need to confess right now. We need to confess all the ways that we've skewed our vision of who you are based on what we've experienced here on earth, God. We need to confess that. We need to be honest about the ways that we've measured your love against those who've loved us here on earth. We need to confess where we've tried to understand your grace based on the way people have given us grace here on earth. And we need to confess that and let it go. God, I pray right now in a supernatural way that you could take our earthly perspective of who you are and put it in the back seat. That for every person here today, God, we could leave here with a clear understanding of who you are as a loving father. And whether we get the whole Bible or not, we would get that one verse, John 3, 16, that you so love us perfectly, not just with words, but with actions. God, would you draw us 
into your presence now. Would you draw us intimately into your lap? Give us a place to bring our hurts and our pains and our brokenness and our doubts and our fears. God, we run to you now. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.